if you pull out that little slip in the bulletin that talks about the classes at Calvary, uh, want each one of the ones who are going to lead those in the coming weeks to come on up, and uh, they're going to give you a 30, 45 second uh, telling you a little bit about that. Uh, so we have the three adult classes, and then we're going to say a little bit about the youth and the children as well. So, Jerry, jump in. So these are the classes from 9 to 10, and that's when we do most of our equipping, actually. And uh, so, Jerry? So uh, membership class uh, starts up the cycle. Membership class addresses uh, God's purpose and plan for all of history, and how does the, that purpose and plan express itself in this local expression of the church at this point in history? And then how, as we as individuals, can jump in and participate in that? And uh, it's a great place for you if you're interested in joining us in membership or just curious about what this body is all about. Either one is an appropriate reason to attend the membership class. We also have a one-time opportunity to take the membership class in, in a day. That's coming up this Saturday from at 10 o'clock, 10 to 2. You could actually complete the process in, or the, that portion of the process in one day if you'd like to. Yeah. Mike? Awesome. So coming up uh, with our high school uh, Sunday morning equipping time, we've begun a series from Focus on the Family called True You, True University. And they're looking at does God exist through science? And so really laying down creation and evolution and looking at scientific facts, we are equipping our kids to see that it is not just a hope, uh, that God created the world according to Genesis 1-1, we can look at the science behind it and say, that's what my God uh, has done. And then with our middle schoolers, uh, they're wrapping up uh, a couple of uh, weeks in First and Second Thessalonians, and then they'll be jumping into evangelism on how, why, and where uh, do they do evangelism. And with our children's ministry, Sue Beckham's usually here. Sue came down with a really bad oh. um, sickness, so she is at home resting, can't really even speak. And so I, I met with Ryan a little bit. Uh, Ryan Sutherland does a lot of our teaching in the early morning hours. Um, and they've been looking at a passage from Ephesians 4, 14. I wanted to read it and then just give you the, the illustration that Ryan gave me. Um, this has been kind of the, the foundation of their teaching. Uh, from Ephesians 4, 14, it says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by trickery of men. In verse 15, it says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And so during their equipping time, uh, Ryan's picture, which was so great, talked about when you're in the ocean and the waves are breaking. And, you know, we have people that are, are you know, they're doggy paddling. They're being overwhelmed and some of them are drowning. But we are taught to rise above that like we're surfing. And so as some people may be uh, struggling in the water, there are those that are surfing the waves. And we want to equip our children to rise above all these weird things that are being taught to them in this world and go, I can stand firm in the word of God. Okay, I'm going to read because I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Donna Kozovich. I'm the nursery director, and I oversee the kids from birth to age five. Um, my ministry is comprised of adult and youth volunteers who seek to love on and plant the word of God into each of the kids that we're blessed to have with us. Um, every adult that serves in our ministry has been live scanned and is CPR certified. So that's awesome to have. Um, each Sunday, we structure our time so the kids have time to play with one another and learn and hear from God's word. We play with the kids. We read to them. We do crafts and activity pages with them. We have a Bible lesson every week. And we don't only pray for your kids, but they sit with us and we pray with them. That's a super important thing that we do. 
They also have a focused Bible verse every month. This month it's Luke 11:28. Hear the word of God and obey it. And the three and four-year-olds actually learn this verse, they memorize it, and they recite it every Sunday to their teacher. And our main focus is just to make sure that the kids know how much God loves them and that he wants them to be part of his forever family. Well done. If you know someone who is held captive by addiction, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Whether it's illegal drugs or prescription drugs, alcohol, or indoor tanning. (laughs) I was hoping you wouldn't say that. (laughs) I had to cover you all. Or gambling or gaming, whatever it is. They're held captive. And New Life class is going to address the how and the why they're held captive. And more importantly, the liberating power of the shed blood of Christ and the moving of the Holy Spirit. So come join us. Bring your friend. Hi, I'm Ben Peets, and we're going to be going through 1 Samuel, which is a remarkable book in the Old Testament. I'm stoked about it. Um, We'll be taking a look at God's redemptive plan using flawed people very often, but um, it'll be I've been excited just reading ahead and kind of preparing notes, just thinking about King Jesus. You know, the the people of Israel wanted a king to be like the other nations, and uh, God allowed Saul to be the first king, but I'm really excited to take a look at 1 Samuel in light of God's mighty plan for his people and us eventually. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Thank you. And so 9 to 10, it's really an important time to jump in and be a part. Um, we have some missionaries that are actually retiring. We've got three uh, family units that uh, in the next few months, uh, a lot of them have already actually retired, but I uh, want to let you know because many of you have prayed for them and you've supported them in various ways over the years. Mary Reese, uh, her husband passed away, what, a year or so ago now, has, um, has retired from Wycliffe, and uh, there's going to be a card out on the patio that you can sign, and uh, we would encourage any of you who can to do that. Karen Dyer, uh, who has served in a very difficult place as a single school teacher for so many years, um, has also retired. She'll actually be here September 16th, and so we'll get a chance to hear from her some. And, um, and so with her, there will also be a card out there if you would like to re, uh, sign that. And then the Garlands have uh, retired, Roger and Sue Garland. And, um, and so they're going to actually be here in November and we'll be sharing. But just uh, to let you know, we're so grateful for faithful partners. And speaking of faithful missionary partners, we've got Doug and Nisi Cannon here. Why don't you stand up and turn around and let people see you. Yeah. So we're blessed to have them in the missions house right next door to us where they can't escape. And, um, and uh, they're here for the whole school year. Nisi's uh, beginning in Biola and uh, wants to get more equipped to do more teaching in English in their place of ministry in Asia. So we'll, we'll hear a lot more from them here even in a couple of weeks. But uh, we're blessed to have you here. Thanks for landing here and we will be the better for it, I know. Well, this morning as uh, we look to God's Word, I, uh, just a word to you parents and kids 
who are in here, and this is a brand new thing for you to have your elementary age children in here, and for you kids, it's a new thing for you to be in here. I realized how old I was this week when I sat around with Stephen and Sue and Mike, said, so have any of you had your kids sit with you in church? And they all said no. And I thought, oh my, I'm older than I thought. Uh, Because this is really an old thing. Um, and yet it's very new to many of you. So just a couple things. Uh, modeling is, is huge, and just know that uh, you get to model uh, to them, and you've already been doing that. It's important to know that's true even uh, during the sermon time, and uh, don't expect more from them than they can handle. Uh, kids were made to wiggle, and wiggling is appropriate. There's a children's bulletin. Feel free to let them color. Feel free to let them draw. I learned this from my beloved in our family devotions that uh, kids can process a lot of things at the same time. And oftentimes if their hands are busy drawing something, they're still taking in what God is saying. And we'll trust you to navigate when it gets inappropriate and you get a chance to teach them uh, to not be totally distracting in the midst of, uh, of a family gathering, a group gathering like that. And uh, for those of you that are past the child-rearing ages, um, uh, don't, don't get irritated or frustrated. Uh, most of us probably would tend to think, oh, I would never let that happen. The reality was we did. <laughs> we did. Camilla has a funny thing that says, uh, she said, whenever uh, you have your kids begin college, one of the first things every parent should do is to go back and pull, back, pull out their own college report cards because you always remember it way better than it was. And, uh, and then all of a sudden you can't say, well, I always got A's. I never procrastinated. Yeah, right. So anyway, to those of you who are glad for the extra activity because the kids are in here. And kids, uh, man, you love God, and uh, you can hear from the Lord this morning. You can learn things about Him. You can learn things about what it means to follow Him. And even as we look at Satan this morning that you already sang about. So grab a copy of the Scriptures and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, we're going to actually be looking at verses um, 8 through 11 this morning. But I want to back up and read beginning at verse 5 through 11 because they go together very much as a unit. And, um, and in fact, to just focus upon verses 8 or 9 would be to get the Christian life out of perspective uh, because one of Satan's tactics is in fact to get us to thinking about him more than God. And uh, it's important. It's really important. In fact, that would be just worship of him even if you're combating him. And, uh, and so it's important to keep these verses together in their, in their context. So let me read beginning of verse 5. You can follow along, and we're going to go down to verse 11, and then we'll just ask for God's help to open our eyes to see wonderful things about Him this morning. Beginning of verse 5, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you that you are the God of all grace. And thank you how even this morning you want to further establish our faith, what we know about you as the one who has called us into this amazing eternal glory and about your perfect work in our lives even today to perfect and to confirm and to strengthen and to establish us. So, Spirit of the living God, move with great freedom. Cause your words to accomplish the purpose that you know is best for each one of us for your name's sake. And it is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, Peter, uh, Peter jumps right in here in verse 11 and, uh, or verse 8 and says, be sober, be on the alert, you have an adversary. And that's really the point that he's making here. Now, last week we looked at how God gives grace to the humble and he resists the pride. And we use this um, plumb bob as an illustration of this being humility. This means this is the place where we agree with God about who He is, we agree with God about who we are, and we agree with God about this is the way we are to live, this is the calling upon our lives. And pride then would be on both sides of this humility. And we looked at Peter's life, we looked at uh, Moses' life, we looked at some of those things last week in saying, uh, we tend to bounce around on both sides of this, and God is at work causing us to be humble people, because it is in the place of humble, humbleness that He pours out His grace upon us. And then uh, He says, so humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, because just as God brought the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt into the land flowing with milk and honey, with total freedom to worship Him, He is bringing us through this world out of the dominion and, and realm where Satan is the god of this world and sin within and without is calling us to move from humility into pride. He's going to bring us all the way out into heaven where we will worship and enjoy Him in all the perfections for all of eternity. And so he, he says, just keep humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. And then Peter goes on and says, but you need to know there's somebody who's working against this purpose. You need to know you have an adversary as a follower of Jesus Christ. You have an adversary who doesn't want you to live humbly. You have an adversary that wants you to move out in pride and miss the fullness of God's grace in your life. And that is the devil. The devil literally is the word diabolus, which means what? Just opposed to a, a, a diabolical plot. There is one who is against what God has done in our life and what he is doing and what he will do. 
He's also known as Satan. He's called Satan 53 times. He's called the devil in the New Testament 34 times. He's called the serpent of old. He's called a lot of different names, the dragon. He's got a lot of descriptions. Here's, here's the short and sweet about, well, I shouldn't say sweet, huh? Short and bitter about the devil. He was an angel created by God to worship God in all of his glory. There was within him a desire to not be content with what God created him to be and with who God was, and rebellion was found in his heart. He says, I will become like God. I will not walk humbly. I will not fulfill the purpose for which he created me. God judged Satan along with Satan. A lot of the other angels sided with him. Some would say a third based upon a verse in Revelation. God judged them and he has judged them forever, fixing them in a state of unholiness. There is no redemption for angels, the fallen angels, for Satan and his followers. And he has prepared a place for them for eternity, the lake of fire and brimstone. And he will one day cast them into that place. Until that day, God has given the devil and his followers, demons, some realms of authority under which they can exercise and accomplish their evil ways. Now, we need to know and need to always be reminded that, that uh, the devil and his demons cannot exercise any authority that is outside the authority that God gives him. And whenever God gives him authority, he always gives him authority that will ultimately fulfill God's purposes. So in that sense, the devil is another instrument in the hand of God to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes in the believer's life, it is to bring enough pain so that we will walk humbly with God. We're going to share the Lord's Supper towards the end of the service. And the Lord's Supper looks back on the events of the Last Supper through the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. No point in history did Satan think, because he was given this freedom by God, that he was finally winning the battle against God. He tried at the temptation of Christ when Jesus began his ministry. Jesus combated him with standing in the truth of God's word. And it says the devil left for an opportune time. And then we read how Judas was fully controlled by Satan, and he left the Last Supper because he'd already made an agreement, and the arresting party came out and met Jesus and his followers in the Garden of Gethsemane. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is the time of darkness. This is a time that has been given over to the prince of darkness, Satan himself. And Satan played his hand to the full, he used the religious leaders that were of their father, the devil. He used Pilate. He used Herod, who are under the God of this world. And they conspired, and they crucified the Lord Jesus. And to match the reality of Satan's work during that time, there was three hours of total darkness in the middle of the day. And it looked like Satan had won when he had really just played into the hands of God. 
And when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, Satan was forever defeated. He was defeated and he lost his hold upon any follower of Jesus Christ because all of our sin has been paid for and he cannot accuse us. He's been defeated and it's just a matter of time before God throws him into that lake of fire and brimstone. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper at the end, we recognize that it is through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the shedding of his blood that Satan was forever defeated. And if you want the prime example of how God used Satan to accomplish his purposes, here we have it. Here we have it. Well, I want us to walk through uh, three encounters of Jesus discipling Peter and the other disciples concerning Satan during his life in ministry. Uh, There are more encounters than this where Jesus actually taught them about Satan, but just for the sake of time, we're going to look at three of them this morning. Now, remember, this comes in this book is written by the Apostle Peter, and, uh, and really what he's doing is he's trying to disciple the people of his day, us today through his words, in the ways that Jesus discipled him about this adversary, the devil. And so the first encounter is with Jesus with the religious leaders. These religious leaders had everything under control and they were convinced that they were working and serving God until God showed up in Jesus Christ. And when when God showed up in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden it became clear that they were not of the kingdom of God. And Jesus had some very strong encounters with them. And on this particular one, he said to them, you you are of your father, the devil. Now think about this. They've been having a religious discussion and he says, do you know why you won't listen to my word? You won't listen to my words. You won't receive my words. That a few verses before he says, you shall know the truth and truth will set you free. He says, you know why you won't listen to my words? Because you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so Peter was there when this happened. And he saw Jesus call the religious leaders of their father the devil. This plays out as the church is born in the New Testament in this way. Paul warns the Corinthians, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What's the application? False teaching, false doctrine is Satan coming in as an angel of light and it's dressed in the garb that this is of God, but it is actually of Satan himself. And it's still one of the ways the devil as our adversary tries to sneak his way into our lives by coming along with some kind of false teaching. Paul warned Timothy in Timothy 3, that some of this false teaching was 
that, that, that marriage should be forbidden and certain foods should be forbidden. Maybe that's like the tanning deal. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that came from. Anyway, and so this false teaching comes in and, and if we believe in it, it is a way that Satan as our adversary gets us off track, off track. Encounter number two is actually at the Last Supper here. Okay, there we go. Or, I'm sorry, it's not at the Last Supper. Uh, the disciples one day were watching the Lord Jesus pray. And they said to the Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so you'll know, well, what we often call the Lord's Prayer, more accurately called uh, our pattern for prayer, the, the disciples' pattern for prayer, which says what? Our Father, which is in heaven, and hallowed be your name. Oh, may your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, we're dependent upon you for daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And oh God, we're dependent upon you to be able to forgive those who sin against us and for you to forgive us for our sins against people and against you. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he says, and let's say it together, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that phrase can also be translated, but deliver us from the evil one. And it's probably actually more appropriately translated. Deliver us from the evil one. Because temptation is, to use the analogy Peter uses here, is the roar of Satan. And he comes and he roars with temptation. But when any of us give in to temptation, what we have done is we have just given sin and sometimes even Satan greater access to our lives. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. They believe Satan over God. They didn't realize he was a liar from the beginning. And what happens? Satan has an access and control over them and thus the whole human race that he did not have before. And so he comes and when any of us give in to evil, we have given Satan a greater opportunity, a greater access, if you will. Now, I don't believe he can control a Christian, but he's moved us from humility out into the areas of pride. Now, sin will do this in general, giving in to sin. Interestingly, there are a few places in the New Testament that mention very specific areas where we give Satan a greater opportunity. So, for example, letting the sun go down on your anger. Unresolved anger, it says, gives Satan an opportunity. For those that are husband and wife, not being faithful, withholding the physical relationship, it says, gives Satan an opportunity. For 
Paul writes to the Corinthian believers that when the man who they had exercised church discipline upon, when he uh, repented and turned back, he says, not forgiving him and embracing him as a full-fledged brother in Christ is giving in to the schemes of Satan. Paul would say in Ephesians 6 that any of our wrestling is not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of wickedness in high places. And so, Satan, our adversary, roars with temptation. When we give in to temptation, then he has some kind of greater access or sin has greater control, and it's really hard to tell the difference, and I wouldn't spend any time trying to figure it out. I would just repent of it. There's no sense trying to divide those hairs. Paul Tripp, this past week, in, uh, he's a Christian counselor and has done the parenting curriculum, actually, that we use. Uh, this week, used 1 Peter 5.8, our verse here, uh, in his blog. And he said, you know, it's amazing how we Christians can dress up temptation and sin and make it look good. And he went on and gave some examples. I want to just pass them on to you. He says, it's amazing how impatient yelling wears the costume of a zeal for truth. Or lust can masquerade as a love for beauty. Or gossip does its evil work by living in the costume of concern and prayer. Or craving for power and control wears the mask of biblical leadership. The fear of man gets dressed up as a servant heart. The pride of always being right masquerades as a love for biblical wisdom. And so, Jesus said, pray. Make it a part of your regular prayer. Oh God, do not lead me into temptation. Do not let me give in to temptation. Because, or rather deliver us from the evil one. For your kingdom and your dominion and your glory are forever and ever. All right, encounter number three is at the Last Supper. This is a very personal one for the Apostle Peter as he was there. Uh, after Jesus, they shared the Lord's Supper, that, uh, the Last Supper that the Lord's Supper is built upon. Um, there are some other discussions that went on around the table. But Jesus began to say to them, you have stood with me through all of these trials. Just as the Father has granted to me a kingdom, I grant that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. And then he goes on to say this in Luke, the next passage here. He looks at Simon around this table and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter blew totally by that. He was not walking humbly. He was still had a lot of pride. He didn't even allow those words to enter in. The next words in Scripture are, 
Jesus, I'm willing to suffer for you and even die for you. And he got sifted by Satan over those next few hours and days. As they left there and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus said there to Peter, James, and John, stay here and pray lest you enter into temptation. And what happened to them? They went to sleep, not just once, more than once. Jesus says the time is here. And so he gets up, they meet the arresting party, Judas betrays him with a kiss. And Peter pulls out his sword, chops off the high priest here. Jesus says, no, that's not the way. Put your sword away, and he heals the man's ear. Jesus goes through those trials during the night, early in the morning. And Peter's out in the courtyard, and what happens three times? He denies, swears by an oath that he never knew Jesus. He was getting sifted by Satan. And it could very well be that even his going back to fishing was a conclusion of what's the point of this? As much as I've failed, I'm just going to go back to what I know. But Jesus restored him because he gives an amazing promise here. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And in these very words in First Peter, he is strengthening us as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying Satan is a real adversary. He wants us to not live humbly, to move out into areas of pride. He'll do it through false teaching, taking a truth and twisting it a little bit. He'll do it through sin, and he will do it through suffering in our lives. In Peter's case, that would have been the trials and all of what he thought about himself and Jesus got kind of imploded there upon him. And what we read here is, in fact, Peter's faith did not fail. Jesus prayed for him. Jesus prayed for us, John 17. He prayed for us, and our faith will not fail either. And so we have a real adversary who is the devil. And as we go on down through these verses, he says what we're to do, recognizing that we have a real adversary. How do we walk in this world knowing that the God of this world, Satan, targets the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? How then do we live? Well, the first thing and the analogy that he gives is of a lion, right? He's like a lion, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I got a lion story for you, okay? Two years ago, Camilla and I had the pleasure of going to Botswana. This thing is not working very good this morning. There we are. And uh, we got to go because Luke and Anna, our daughter and her husband, uh, spent three years there with the Peace Corps. And so we got to go there. And, uh, and we got to do several uh, different things there. One of them was we met my brother and his family, and they are there, my uh, brother Melanie, or sister-in-law Melanie Greg, 
Dominique and Remy there too, and then Anna and Luke, and then Camilla and me. And, uh, and so I, I tell you this, because here's the, here's, the, here's the people in the lion story, okay? And there's the rig that began to make us so many problems, especially that trailer. So one of the places we were gonna go was a place that uh, required us to go down a dirt road for 12 miles to our campsite for that night. And, uh, and so we ate lunch and we began, we paid our fees and we were checked in. And uh, so it's Greg, that's his rig and his family and uh, Luke and Anna had rented a, a, a truck and so Camilla and I are in the truck with them and Greg's leading the way, and he gets less than 100 yards down this dirt road, and he bottoms out, and he is stuck. So we dig, and of course, you know, this is fun in other cultures. It happens some places in America, not very often in Southern California, because then all the Botswanas come out, and you spend a lot of time thinking and talking about this stuff. You know, you don't just fix things fast. And so they're there, Oh, that's a Land Rover. This should never happen. I mean, it's just it's a fun encounter. It's just a really fun encounter. Except we got to get to our campsite. And, uh, and so we try, we dig, we push, we try. It's not going to work. So we conclude the trailer's the problem. And so we take the trailer off and we say, uh, Luke's truck, that'll probably do better. It's got a little wider tires and a few things like that. And so we try pushing Greg and... And he goes a little ways, and then we try to get in, and that doesn't work, so, because he has to stop for people to get in. So we put his two kids in there, and we say, Greg, if you get going, you go right to the campsite, do not stop. So here we are, we push, he gets going, and he's off. And so we put the trailer on the pickup truck, and guess what happens? <laughs> the pickup truck gets stuck too. And by this time, a couple of Botswana rangers had followed us. One of them was really excited to help us. His name was Cowboy. And uh, I don't know what his real name was, but anyway, that's the way he introduced himself. And the other one was, yeah, we were just kind of an irritation to him. But he couldn't get around us because it's a one-lane road. So we push. Botswana ranger is saying, you guys just don't know how to drive. And so I said to him, I says, well, why don't you get in and drive? And I, I mean, I don't care about how we get there. Let's just get there. And, uh, and so he doesn't want to do that, but he finally says, let's put the trailer on my pickup truck. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. And so we, so we push Luke and Luke takes off and we say, don't stop, just keep on going. So here we are. Um, in the back of this pickup truck with the trailer, with the Botswanas, the four of us. And, uh, and the, you know, the trick is you have to push it to get it going, but then he has to slow down or stop for us to get in. And, and every time he did it, I mean, we'd go for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, an elephant would cross the road or something, and you have to stop. And, and then you'd get stuck. And so we thought, this is never going to work. We just could not get the thing unstuck at a certain point. And so um, I said, how far is it? He said, two miles to the campsite. I said, we can walk two miles. It's like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock now. Here's the un... Uh, it's the clearly stated rule in the, in the bush. Never be out after dark. Why? 
lions. Lions. They come out and they're hungry. And, uh, and so we thought, well, we got two hours, two miles, uh, the four of us, Anna and, uh, and Greg's wife and me and Cowboy. We can walk two miles in, what, 25 minutes or something. And, um, and so we put Camilla in the truck with the Botswana guy with the trailer. <laughs> we all push. We say, don't stop till you get to the campsite. And so they take off. And so there's the four of us, and we're walking. I mean, we're walking fast. And uh, after about 45 minutes or an hour, I asked the guy, I said, so how far is this? <laughs> this isn't the first time this has happened to me overseas, by the way. Um, because the reality was they always drove. And he didn't really know. Now, he didn't say that. This was going to become obvious in a, in a few moments. And so we'd walk really fast, and then he'd start talking about what we should do if we encounter a lion. Because <laughs> it's starting to get dark. And that's why there's no pictures. We quit taking pictures because we had an adversary. And picture taking goes out the window when this happens. I mean, we're. We were trying to have some fun with it, you know. I wonder if they like white meat better than black meat. <laughs> we're so small compared to a zebra. Surely they wouldn't go for us. They'd go for those nice, plumpy zebras. And, uh, and I can remember saying, well, I don't even want to be an hors d'oeuvre. And uh, so anyway, we get to this certain part, and it's getting dark. It's getting dark. And it's brushy. And he says, I don't think we should walk through there. And so we think, okay. I mean, you're the guy who knows. I'm the, I'm the city boy. And so we said, what should we do? Well, he says, we should just stay together and face outward. And if a lion comes, do not run. Okay. How do we get to the campsite? Well, Anna had her cell phone. And by the grace of God... She called my brother Greg and said, can you come back and get us? Because that was a better shot than any other shot we had at this point. And the call went through, and Greg says, yes, I'll be right there. So he takes off. It's dark now, and uh, we're standing there. And uh, he calls about 20 minutes later and says, where are you guys? I says, we're standing right in the middle of the road that you drove down to get to the campsite. He says, well, I've been driving as fast as I can for these 15 or 20 minutes, and I haven't come to you yet. And I said, well, I can't see you or hear you, because, you know, sound travels a lot outside like that, and light shows forever. And I says, well, just keep coming. About 20 minutes later, he calls again. He says, where are you guys? We're standing in the middle of the road with our backs towards each other. <laughs> and about then, I heard him. And he says, I can hear you now. So he came. We figured we must have had, I don't know how they measure distance, <laughs> but we probably had another eight to 10 miles to go. And so anyway, we had a very good night in the campsite that night. <laughs> the next morning, we got up early with Luke and Anna, and we went back to that very place because we wanted to see lions. We just wanted to be in a car when we saw them. And this is what was in the bush there, um, right 
about where we stopped. And so we went down, about 100 yards down there, you can see the green and the river down there, and this is what we found down there. And we were glad he was eating zebra. <laughs> Peter says, we have an adversary. We have an adversary, and he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he works on the dark. And he uses the dark. So what are we to do? Well, look at what Peter says here. Can you advance this? This thing isn't working. Go on to the next one. What does he say to do here? The first thing he says is to be sober. Be on the alert. He begins the whole thing by saying that at verse 8. Be sober, be on the alert. Sober has to do with keeping ourselves in a, in a place of alertness so that we're, we don't numb our senses. We've seen this used two or three times already in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, I preached a message on, on, on sober living, and it means to be unintoxicated by anything that would numb us spiritually. Sin certainly numbs us spiritually, but also good things in life that God doesn't want us to have. So like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, uh, get rid of the sin and the encumbrances that so easily beset us, that would numb us spiritually. And so Peter says, man, stay sober, control yourself, and to be on the alert, recognize that you have an enemy, and live with an alertness towards that enemy. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, police. Uh, police in the briefing room are very different than they are out on the street. Why? because they know they're out there and they don't know what's around the next corner. There's an alertness where there's buddy-buddy in the briefing room. And, and Peter says, you live in the world. Be sober and always be alert. And then he goes on to say, resist him firm in your faith. This is a key phrase. Resist him. You and I are not an equal adversary to the devil. We have no power to do anything against him. I mean, if that lion had decided to come after the four or five of us that day, we would have been a meal. There was nothing we could do. Nothing we could do. And there's nothing we can do as followers of Christ in our own power and strength. I mean, that is arrogance to think that we have some ability to resist him. We resist him how? What's that next phrase? It's appositional, firm in your faith. How do you resist him? Stay firm in your faith. Stay firm in your faith. Don't take him on. Stay firm in your faith. That's humility. And so resist him firm in your faith. And Peter goes on and tells us in an amazing summary, what our faith is, what we know to be true. He goes on in that next part of the verse. Well, I went too far now. He goes on and says, let's read this together, actually. It's the next verse and a half there. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So knowing that we have an adversary, what are we supposed to do? Keep living in our faith. 
keep living in what we know. And what do we know? Well, we know a few things by the first sentence there going into the, well, the first half of that. We know, first of all, that our unique, our experience of suffering is not unique to us. It's common to brothers and sisters around the world. The second thing that we know is that it is accomplishing something. It's being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Suffering accomplishes something. It accomplishes something. God has a goal in our suffering. And he's hit this several times. Here's the summary statement. In chapter 1, he said his suffering is like a refiner's fire that causes us to be more holy and righteous in what we know about God, to walk more humbly. Chapter 3 says, and when you're going through suffering, people around you, as they watch you walk through the suffering with a hope in God, are going to say, what's up with you? It's a means of evangelism, of helping other people come to Christ. And so he says, just know that there's a purpose in your suffering. Your suffering is accomplishing something. And your suffering is accomplishing something bigger and longer lasting than the short time that you suffer. After you have suffered for a what? Yeah, it never feels like that, does it? But given in the perspective of who we are in Christ, it's for a little while. And so Peter says, man, stand in your faith knowing that this is not a unique experience to you. Brothers and sisters around the world and through time have suffered. God has a purpose. He has a goal in your suffering. And your suffering is for a little while, and his goal lasts forever. And then let's pick up on this phrase, the God of all grace. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? The God of how much grace? If there's any grace, where's it going to come from? God. It's all His. It's all His. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Do you know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're even contemplating that, and you give in and respond to Christ as your Savior, do you know that He has called you to His eternal glory? This is not some short deal. This isn't like working for 40 or 50 years and retiring. This isn't like living for 70 or 80 years on earth. Man, this is, call us to his eternal glory in Christ. This is a big deal. Now, he's got a lot of callings on our lives, doesn't he? I mean, there's a calling to make disciples. There's a calling to husbands, love your wives. Children, be obedient to your parents. Parents, Train up your children in the nurture and admission of the Lord. Uh, clothe ourselves with humility. There's a lot of callings, but this is the one that trumps them all. This is the one under which they all come. He has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And he will, notice the himself, he will himself. Everybody else around you may fail. It is not dependent upon people. Now, he'll work through people, but he is not going to entrust your eternal glory, my eternal glory, or our perfecting and confirming and strengthening and establishing just to people. He himself 
will make sure that this gets done. He will make sure we have enough grace. And even if Satan sifts us, or Paul has the thorn in the Spirit, whatever the adversary may do, he will make sure that we get all the way to being perfect. The word is used of a broken bone that's set in place. That we get whole and healthy. He will make sure that we are confirmed as a follower of Jesus Christ. He will make sure that we are strengthened. The very word that Jesus used around the Last Supper table. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. And He will establish us. And He will do that for you. He will do that for me. He will do that for everyone who believes in His name. So what about this adversary? What about this adversary? <laughs> He's going to get swallowed up because to God be the dominion forever and ever, Peter says. Martin Luther, who suffered a lot against religious people of his day, he wrote a song, A Mighty God, or A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let me read to you one verse. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Well, Peter just says, oh, to him be the dominion forever and ever. And we all say, Amen. amen. Men, if you'll get ready to serve the Lord's Supper to us, we want to remind ourselves why that's true, why that's as good as done, because He Himself, who has called us, will bring this to pass.